be a great Sunday. But I thought about missionaries. Really, aren't we all missionaries? Way, way back when Larry Lim was our youth pastor in Jackson, he had this big poster on his office door, and I'll never forget it. And it said simply this, you're either a missionary or a mission field. You're either needing to go or you need someone to come to you and minister to you. And sometimes we might be a little bit of both, that we need ministry, but God has always wanted us to be about going because that's his last word. He told him, right? Going to all the world. What is your calling? What do you feel like? I, I know we think calling into full-time ministry is, but everybody's called. Everybody's called to do something. Have you thought about what your calling is of the Lord? Not, not necessarily your vocation, but what God wants to do with your life within the context of his plan, his purpose. Um, whatever my calling is, that determines my activity. Now, here's another. What is your purpose? Of course, I've put these first person. What is my purpose for me to think about? But the question is, what, is, what do you think your purpose is? And to ponder that. The, one is what you do. What is your call? What you do. Your purpose is why are you to do that? One determines the activity. The other one determines the spirit by which you do that activity. The attitude that you have to life. Some people resent their jobs. I've been there. I was not, not cut out to be a men's clothing salesman at JCPenney. Was not cut out for that. I, I almost apologize for people, to people for trying to sell them something. You probably need more money than I do, so don't, don't bother to buy anything. But I just, you know, when you're, in a, when you're in a pinch, you just take whatever job you can get, and that's what I took. But because we, when, when we think about what are we living our lives for, how long do you think you have to fulfill the purpose of God? No, don't answer that. <laughs> I can tell you, I have probably a shorter space to do whatever God wants me to do than a lot of you here. It, you know, if, if nature takes care of itself. Um, but how long do you think you might have to complete the purpose of God for your life? Now, if our answer to that is years, we've missed the point. Because we don't live our lives by years. We really live them by hours, minutes, and moments. Just the, the reality is we can't live tomorrow. We can only live now. And so I'm not going to re-preach a message I preached a few weeks back. The time is now. One of the great mysteries of the four Gospels, and we're going to read from some of them here in just a moment. One of the great mysteries of the four Gospels, you know, how they chronicle the life of Jesus. Let me just throw some details out to you. Is to see Jesus in the midst of his calling and his purpose. Now I want you to think about what I'm going to share with you here. And he had just a narrow window for his calling and purpose to be completed. He was 30 years of age before he launched his public ministry. 
30 years of age. At the most, people estimate that his ministry, public ministry, went to three and possibly a half a year, 42 months. Three and a half years at the most. So we'll just, we'll just let that be the duration of his public ministry. If, if that's the case, he lived 402 months and 42 of those months were in ministry. Almost, 10, just a little over 10% of his life was devoted to his calling, to his ministry. 10%. I don't know, that's just kind of baffling to me. That the Son of God, with, with the arrival, the way it was demonstrated, that shepherds and wise men, and wow, he's here, and it's 30 years before he's launched into doing the purpose of the Father. I don't know if that's baffling to you, but that just baffles me as to he spent pretty much 90% of his life before he started his ministry. That's amazing. I'm, I'm going to be the lab rat tonight, so you, you, but, but uh, you can take out uh, something to write on or a calculator because I'm going I'm to be the lab rat. If at this point I've lived 90% of my life, if at this point I only have 10% of my life left, that means I'm going to be somewhere 72 plus in age. If right now I'm at 90% completion of my life, that means I'll get to somewhere past 72. And when I look at my purpose and my calling, I, I, I think I can add... The last two years of my Bible college, I'd accepted kind of <laughs> this, um, this mandate upon my life. Because when my first year of Bible college, they started asking me, what do you want your major? Bible, no. Ministry, no. Theology, no. Secondary education, no. Say, elementary, no. <laughs> And I said, we don't have too many left. I said, what do you have left? And uh, pre-seminary, which I'd never heard that word, I don't think, in all my years in Childersburg. I said, what's that? Well, that's for you to get prepared to go to, to postgraduate studies. I said, I'll take that. <laughs> and in me, I was still trying to push back what I know I was there for. So I was in this transition from Jacksonville State Bible College, and I was, I was not a willing... A really, let's go get them <laughs> convert to that idea. So it took me about a year. And next year, I said, okay, I know I'm supposed to be in ministry. So I, I changed my major. I, I graduated in 73, a year after we were married. And, um, and the Alabama District Council gave me my credentials like that. I stopped at the old tabernacle on the uh, 231 Highway where they had the old tabernacle and the headquarters and all that. And, and uh, that was T.H. Spence's last district council before he was retiring. And uh, so I went in for an interview, 
And uh, the first thing Brother Spence said to me, Charles, your hair is way too long. And I said, yes, sir, it is. Whatever you say. <laughs> I was scared spitless. I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I, I'll take care of that. I was like, whatever. And what, can you name the fundamental truths? And I, I was like, mm, I should be able to come up with some. And I'm like, I'm, I'm failing this test. This is not good. And so they, they put me through the ringer. And I said, well, they're not going to give me any credentials because I'm like blank. I'm scared to death. But they gave me the credentials. I guess they were desperate for people. But three years later, I was ordained in 1976. We started pastoring the year before that in Lake City, Florida. In 75, I was 24 years of age, barely 24. Had no business pastoring the church. It was uh, four people. But uh, if I had all of that, you know, I have 63% of my life that I've lived up to now involved in pastoral ministry. And in a way, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed that I haven't accomplished more than 63% of my life. <laughs> Knowing and looking at Jesus waited to the last three and a half years of his life to do what he came from heaven to do. But it makes, you know, and let, and let, before I, I answer that, before I say this, what do you think the most important 10% of your life is? The 10% in front of you. The 10% in front of us is the most important part of our life. Because whether we like what we look at in the rearview mirror or wish we could have done more, you know, it, it brings us back to the reality that we have an opportunity now. And I'm, I'm really sharing some things on life's mission. Why am I dealing with this kind of like a philosophical? Because we have Mission Sunday coming up, and, uh, but we also have these constant reminders in the Bible of Jesus talking about nobody knows the day or the hour, and, and uh, when the rapture of the church takes place, it's going to be like, there's not going to be like a five-minute warning. You know, in five minutes, y'all are about to be out of here. It's going to happen like that. So, and we're told that that could, that could happen at any moment, and that could happen at any moment. I don't know anything prophetically that has to take place before the rapture of the church takes place. There's all kind of different ideas on that. But it seemed that as though, even though Jesus spent the last three and a half years, 10% of his life doing his ministry, it's like every step mattered to him. And I guess it should have. But here's some things that I'm going to refer to Matthew 15 here if you want to find it. Um, what, what about, I think there was, uh, this was touched on in Sunday school class like Sunday. What about the time that Jesus was sent the notice from about Lazarus being very, very sick, and he just waited? He delayed. He delayed his time to go, knowing that he was going to die. And, and you know, he was telling his disciples, we're not going to go. You know, Lazarus is going to fall asleep, and it's an 
oh, okay, so if he's just asleep, it's okay. He says, no, he's not just going to be asleep. He's going to be dead. But, but even that was calculated, was it not? That, that Mary and Martha thought, man, being tardy on this thing is not good. But everything was calculated, every step he took. But here's one of the interesting things about Jesus' life that really fascinates me. And it's Matthew 15. And outside of him going to Egypt when he was a child, uh, being protected by his parents from Herod, the only time we know of that Jesus stepped out of Israel proper, Samaria was considered part of Israel. It was right in the middle between Judea and Galilee, but it was still considered part of Israel. Chapter 15 talks about Jesus and the disciples going up into what is part of Lebanon. This is the furthest he, he went, recorded in the Gospels. And he was in a house, and, and I'll just... Uh, well, it says in, in verse 21, if you're in Matthew 15, that uh, he went into a district of Tyre and Sidon. And we know this as the Syrophoenician woman. This is uh, Jezebel's home area. This, this is a seat of, of uh, a lot of demonic activity, and this was Jezebel's... He, he went into an area known for its demonic activity. And he went there, I guess, not to do any ministry. Because it says uh, a, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to say, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. And the disciples, you know, Jesus wouldn't answer. He wouldn't pay any attention to her, which is kind of like... You know, that's hard to fathom, isn't it? And the disciple says, listen, she's bothering us. She's continually yelling at us. Uh, send her away. And so Jesus said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Pretty tough answer, isn't it? Mind you, every step is calculated. He's not doing anything or saying anything without the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I think this was a little vacation. <laughs> I really think this was a vacation. They went out, and it looked like, we're here, we're not going to be doing anything, we're resting. Now, I don't know about you, but you know you had three and a half years to fulfill the purpose of God. It's kind of like, well, we're going to have to put vacations on hold. But even this was calculated. Every step he took was measured. And so she, her response was, yes, Lord. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. He said to her, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And it concludes this with this. And her daughter was healed at once. These delays, the delay going to Lazarus, the delay here going to, into what is southern Lebanon and not wanting to, to respond to someone's need, this is as much ordered of the Lord as the day he was preaching to thousands of people. One was not greater than the other. We might say, well, you know, these, these, were, these two events where it looks like he's kind of like, not very much in the hurry he should be, right? 
He should be in a hurry to get to Lazarus, but it was calculated. Those were as much ordered by the Lord, and I think what this tells us is maybe God doesn't want us to travel 100 miles an hour because we're going to miss stuff like this. We're, we're going to miss opportunities that he puts right in front of us, and he really may be saying, dial it down a little bit. Wait here. Don't respond to this right now. Wait, pause, pause. If you don't have peace about something, put it on hold. And the, and the disciples probably were wondering, what is going on here? And, and yet it, it turns out pretty good, does it not? They were curious. I'm going to take you to John chapter 9. They were curious about a man that, that had encountered Jesus that was born blind. Remember that? And the disciples, they got into a philosophical discussion as to why this guy was born blind. And they were asking Jesus, well, did his parents do something wrong? Did they sin? Or I don't know how in the world the guy could sin. He was born blind. I guess he sinned as carried in the womb. Or it might be that maybe they were talking about original sin. Maybe it's just original sin in him, in his nature, in human nature. So they were discussing... Something, and you know how the story ended, right? He spits on the ground, makes a little dab of mud with his spittle, puts it on the man's eyes and tells him to go wash the mud off, and he's healed. But between those two things, the discussion on why is the man born blind and the healing, Jesus makes this statement in verses 4 and 5, and this is really what I want you to take a close look at with me this evening. As long as it is day. This seems like it's out of place. Discussion, whether, why is the man born blind? He says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And the very next thing is that he spits on the ground, makes the mud, and tells the guy to go wash the mud off, and the man is healed. But if you're looking at that, what... What jumps out to you? The statement looks like it's out of place, does it not? I mean, I'm trying to make a connection as to why did he say that? But do you, what jumps out to you in those statements? What are some of the things you notice? Is there a reference to time? He uses day and night to tell them there's, there's a time that he's allowed for you to do the work of the Lord, and there's, there's going to come where there's no time. And he uses day and night as the two opposites. One is the capacity to function in the purpose of God. The other is nobody's going to function. What else? I think there's something marvelous in this that just is a blessing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, here Jesus is about to heal this guy, right? But he doesn't say, as long as it is day, I must do the works of him who sent me. He didn't say that. What did he say? 
We. First person plural. He brings them in to what he's doing. He said, I'm not doing this as a solo flight. We're here. We're doing all of this together. I'm not just training you. You're part of this. And he reminds them that they're on a time schedule. That not only is he on a time schedule, but he says, you're connected with me, and there's going to be a limit as to what we can do. We must do the works of him who sent me. The, de- the night comes when no one can work. The one who sent me. That's a pretty good point, isn't it? The one who sent me. What he wants me to do, you're supposed to be involved in it. Not after I get through training you and, and after the resurrection. says, we must do like right now, present right now, the works that the one who sent me, you, you're involved in this. You're connected to this. We have a, a final month coming up in a couple of days. Or 2017. How about that, huh? 2017. That's a long time since people had generators and water and thought their cars wouldn't crank when it rolled over into 2000. <laughs> Man, you're talking about paranoid. There's a lot of people who had to sell their stuff. What are we about? Are we about survival? Is, is, do you find survival in that? Do you find hunker down and ride it out, folks? <laughs> do, you, do you see that? Is he making that point? No, he's, he's like being, don't get into a, a security center or a shelter. Get out there. Get out there no matter what's going on. Get out there. There's only a limited amount of time. He said, every day you and I have is a powerful gift from God. Every day we have. There's coming a time when no man, no one can work. And the word can there comes from the word dunamis. It's not having the, you know, opening. He said, there's not going to be any power for anybody to do anything that we can do right now with that power. It's going to be withdrawn. No, nobody will have the power to do the works of him who sent him. Which is really interesting, is it not? And then he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. What does that remind you of? Hmm? Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. You're the salt of the earth. And then the next thing it says, you're the light of the world. Notice he didn't say you're becoming the light of the world. He said you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden, meaning that we're to be conspicuous. And then he says this, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, what's the rest of it? Now think about that. 
Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works, but not glorify you. Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Boy, he says, you are the light and you're to be conspicuous. Nobody will build a town on a hill and it be hidden. Neither the people turn a light on and put a cover over it. No, they want the light to shine. Then he said, let your light shine. What do you get from that command? That's kind of like an admonition. What, let your light shine. <laughs> you know, he's almost inferring that the light in you wants to jump out. And that you're not having to stir up light. It's just the opposite. We're the reason why it doesn't shine. We block it. We block it by getting caught up in stuff and, and not focus. And he says, don't let that happen. Allow the, the light is in you. He, he didn't say try to be the light. He says, you are the light. You have you have a defined entity within you. The, his light is in you. And he said, that light wants to come out. The only reason why it doesn't shine is that you're hindering, you're blocking it. He says, let your light shine. He made us his light. He made us his light. He is the light. That's what he said. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he turns around and says, but you're now part of that light. My light is in you. And that makes you light. So shine your, that light missionaries that we celebrate, many of them we pray for on Sunday night, are in places like Scott and McGinney Strickland in Turkey, Istanbul, Turkey. And uh, Jonathan and Brittany Hollinsworth, way over there near the Bangladesh border. And, you know, we have people, Daniel and Crystal Hovey supposed to be here that Sunday morning. They're newly appointed to China. And so they're going to come and set up a table. And so we're, we're going to have a, a good opportunity. But these missionaries are carrying the light. And what, what we do, we share in that light, do we not? And we, we are part of letting the light of Jesus shine. Anytime we couple ourselves with the effort to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, we're, we're, that's part of letting our light shine. We're shining as much through them as we would if we were there ourselves. Because we're there with them. Purpose and meaning. Faith promises. It's not a pledge. I probably should have corrected that in that letter. It's not a pledge. That's how other people do stuff. It's not a pledge. It's a faith promise. Meaning this, with God's help, I want to be able to do this. I'm going to put it out there by faith. And I'm going to listen to God, put it out there by faith. God wants us, you know, to handle our obligations. He wants us to pay our bills. But he wants us to be good stewards so that we can be available to advance the kingdom of God. After all, everything we do is going to be tried by fire 
and only what we've done for God is going to matter. Only what we've done for Him is going to matter. This past summer, and I'll finish up with this. I started not to share this, but I'm going to. This past summer, we was at General Council. General Council has, they have it every two years. And uh, it was this summer, and we were out in Anaheim, California. We were there in 1983 for our very first General Council as a family. What a memorable time that was. <laughs> oh, Lord. But um, they had elections and there's things like that, but just great ministry, a lot of great messages, powerful messages. And uh, you probably can still access them through uh, Symbols of God, General Council, and go into, uh, I think you have to go into where the media stuff is at. Just incredible testimonies and great messages but in the one of the business sessions it was kind of a little bit irritating and uh, business sessions can be irritating to me I saw over in another setting brother drawn and David Strahan they were over apart from me and I was sitting next to Becky because she was a delegate and uh, and they had a was gonna uh, elect a, a new person US missions director was stepping down and so this is director over all U.S. missions, including Chi Alpha and chaplains and everything like that. Everything in U.S. missions is going to be a, the main director is going to be elected. And so they had eight, nine names of people that they had vetted and interviewed, and they had a, a printout on all of them. And it was kind of like a grade. <laughs> and... Uh, most of them graded out like 90 to 95 percent. One graded out like 70 percent. But in, in, in these eight or nine names, there were very was personal stuff there, you know. So, uh, well, I guess they're willing to, and they'll be examined like that. There was one person nominated who pastors a mega church, and if I said his name, some of you would probably recognize it, well known throughout the country. And this is, was, they analyzed all the churches and what their church's missions giving was because that reflects the, the leadership of the church, right? If, if the pastor's not really a missions guy, then probably the church is not going to be. So it had down there that this church hardly ever supported U.S. missions. That was on there. And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking over at Brother Drawn and David, and I'm looking back down, and, and so I'm sending them texts. I know he's probably not supposed to do that, but I'm still like, what's the deal with this? This guy's been nominated, and his church doesn't support what he's supposed to be over? And, and, of course, and I was like, we were having a little fun with it, too. But the, hundreds of people voted for this guy because of his popularity. I was not one of them. And the vast majority of the people did not either. But it was just kind of stunning that <laughs> I was like, why did they put his name out there? And they even had people come into the microphone. They had all these microphones. 
and you know, they had people come to the microphones, uh, a point of order, uh, should, should this guy's name be on, or, well, we're not going to, the, the vetting process has been done, you, you can have your choice, and they would shut down anyone who would say, you know, what's going on here? And they would just shut, shut that person down, but it was kind of like everybody was thinking the same thing. And I wonder how we would be reflected in our missions giving, personally, if we're committed to the overall purpose of God, the mission of the Lord. We have, we have a great giving group here. Do you think it's quite possibly that we can go even beyond ever we've ever done? Ever. I know we can. I don't know who gives what. I don't, I don't look at anything and see that because I don't want to think somebody's like, oh, he's looking at me. Oh, no, he must know. So I don't want to know. When I would get up to preach on giving, I'm, I'm like, I'm perfectly free. I can say whatever I want to say because I have no idea what anybody gives. Hallelujah. I'm free. But I'm, I, I just think, Lord, is, is there more to what we can do? Knowing if we have... Now, you can do some calculations. Some of you are so young that the next 10% of your life is not that long. <laughs> but for me, <laughs> it's, a, it's an important 10% of my life. But what do, you want, what do you want to say about the next three years of your life or the next four years of your life? What do you want to say God has accomplished in what you have your hands on in the next two, three, four, five years? I've even said that and tried to ask couples that I have an opportunity to speak into them that's maybe thinking about splitting up or... or divorcing, and they got children, and I says, just add five years to your children's age. What do you want her to say in five years? Boy, I wish we could all spend Christmas together. Or will you say, in looking at them, I sure am glad we survived that. Sure am glad we we humbled ourselves and took our lumps and weathered it. See, those are the sort of things when you're facing the purpose of God in your life that you're going to say one or two things at the end of that next 10%. I was more aware of the purpose of God in my life, and I'm grateful that I decided to make the most of it because I believe I'm further along than I'd ever been if I was just coasting along and doing it when it's easy to do, and not weathering trouble, and not weathering challenges, and not weathering things that are disappointing. Because when, when you get focused on what's in front of you, it causes you to fight just a little bit harder for the purpose of God in your life. To finish strong. To finish strong. I've, I ran a lot of 15Ks, in Jacksonville. And for the most of them, I felt pretty good at the end. But there's one that I thought I was going home to be with Jesus. 
And it's the one when they they had a cannon out there to start it. These guys out there in fatigues and boots, and they were like, and, and, you know, they was like, I said, they're running 15K in combat boots. We're tough. And, and so they all take off, and we're at, we're at places in the lineup to where, you know, if you're running eight minutes and to eight minutes to nine minutes, and you got them all stationed, and I got caught up. I got caught up in the excitement, and I'm just digging it. And I'm like, man, that's a pretty good split there. I'm feeling pretty good. And then Heart Bridge, H-A-R-T, should be H-E-A-R-T. Heart Bridge, at the, eight, at the bottom of it is the eight mile, and almost the whole bridge is the last mile and two-tenths. And I am dying. I am dying. I'm barely what you call running <laughs> to the finish line. And I'm like, I won't do that again. I learned my lesson. Charles will go slow at the start. And I'll save, I'll save whatever speed I got for the ending. It's a lot better to run across the line, but it's, lot, it's not good when people are saying, you okay over there? You all right? You need some help over there? You need some oxygen? You see, I need a counselor to come and talk to me about the stupidity I just accomplished. But I think spiritually, God wants us not to be sprinters, but to have a long-distance purpose in what we do and, and do it all well. Don't do it in spurts. Just have a momentum that carries you from one thing to another, knowing that this is the purpose of God. If you find your calling, if you find what He wants you to do, just do it consistently. And build momentum because we are all approaching a finish line. It might not be our death. It might be the trumpet call of God. But if we're consistently moving forward in a more, more focused, more determined, more defined way, I'm telling you we will accomplish a lot more for God in the next year or two or three than we would just coasting when it was easy and fighting hard when it was tough. We need to, we need to stay, have a steady, steady pace and say, I need to fulfill the purpose of God for my life. I need to know what his purpose is. And boy, that second song, The Hope of Nations, saw that line. Savior, you're mighty to save. He's mighty to save. And he wants us involved in that work. Would you stand with me?